secrets and lies are what bury us. Whether or not one chooses the path of light or the path of darkness, I think it still has to be your choice. This is the AMC Mayfair Witches Podcast, and I'm your host, Amy Nicholson, writer, critic, podcast host, and a former witch in training, because now, eight episodes into this show, I think I can say that I have become a full-fledged official witch. Each week, this coven has come together to talk about the latest episode of AMC's shocking adaptation of Mayfair Witches. And today, we've reached the end of the line, the season finale of Mayfair Witches, titled, What Rough Beast? There is so much to unpack, and thankfully, we have saved the most mysterious character in the show for our last podcast guest. I am joined by the rough beast himself, Jack Houston, who plays the Lasher, the demonic diva. But everyone, trust me when I say that we will be talking about everything in this episode. Twists, turns, everything. So if you have not watched the finale yet, turn back now. It's the witching hour. Can you look deeper? Follow the path of your ancestors to the end. I'll be there with you at the witching hour. The 13th witch is the doorway. In our season finale, we start with a witch hunter on the run. And who is he running from? None other than the all-powerful Rowan the Witch. She commands Lasher to go get him, and he is thrilled. His eyes light up like he's a puppy, and she just said, go fetch. And in a poetic twist, Lasher kills Incel Man with fire. You know, fire, the deadly hip threat of the season. Break out the marshmallows for Rowan the Spooky Scary Witch. Meanwhile, we learn the full dark truth about Uncle Cortland and the Talamasca, that they are both in cahoots to help Lasher fulfill his ancient prophecy. And it was Cortland who put on the party mask and raped Deirdre. Uncle Cortland is actually Rowan's father. But Rowan no longer has any time for other people's nonsense. She is finally able to look inside herself and uncover the secrets of her ancestors. And there is no better place for Rowan to learn about her family than in the place where her family's story began, Suzanne's cottage. It is here that Lasher gives Rowan the power to all of the elements that he can control. And it is here that Lasher and Rowan finally hook up on Suzanne's ancient bed. Talk about connecting with your past. But where's the third part of our supernatural love triangle, you might ask? Well, Cyprian rushes to the Mayfair mausoleum where Rowan is giving birth to their child. And their child happens to also be Lasher? This is getting super weird, y'all. And I love weird. Rowan is rightfully scared, but she also cannot help but be protective of baby Lasher. So protective that when her baby daddy Cyprian tries to grab her baby, Rowan hurls lightning bolts at his feet. This is who she is, and nobody can control her anymore. Rowan plus Baby Lasher, an iconic duo. Is Baby Lasher giving Baby Yoda a run for his money? We shall see. And we shall get into all of it with my guest, Jack Houston. Let's get talking about this demonic baby. Jack, hello. Welcome to our coven. Usually I welcome people into my coven, but we're having the coven meeting at your place today. (laughs) 
<laughs> Hi, Amy. Well, thank you very much. Happy to have you in my coven. Oh, could you properly, for our listeners, introduce yourself and say what you do on the show? Yeah. So my name is Jack Houston, and I play the ever-elusive Lasher. Oh, you really say Lasher with a thrill. <laughs> There's a bit of thrill every time I get to say it. I saw the tips of your mustache twitch. It was exciting. <laughs> I was twirling them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jack, you are the man... You are the demonic man thing that we have all been waiting for to have on this podcast. This was one hell of a grand finale episode. There's mm. so much to get into. Ancient prophecies, demon babies. I'm feeling like that's kind of just normal stuff for you in your everyday life. Very much so. Yes, that's why they cast me, because it was me just playing myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to start by talking about what I am calling the Lasher effect, because you really do have in effect, on the Mayfair women. I mean, mm. what do you think is so seductive about Lasher? Like, how would you define this Lasher essence? It's interesting. We always had conversations about it. I think, you know, having someone who is entirely yours must be quite seductive. That sort of codependence of someone who equally is there to fulfill your every wish, need, and bring power to you, but at the same time, feeds off you. <laughs> yeah, it feels like this intoxicating love. And I think there is love there. I think the love does exist and is real. And I think he's cared for every single one of these witches and he's gone for a life with them. And it's been this insane journey to take him to the 13th witch. So Rowan is sort of like the light at the end of the tunnel or the darkness at the end of the tunnel. I wonder which one. So even though I've been thinking of Lasher as a love them and leave them type, <laughs> you're saying that you think Lasher really does love all of these witches, that this is a real true love? Yeah. I mean, I think it has to be really, even if it's not entirely real, you can't play that. You have to be able to play the reality of the love that exists between these people, that yeah, he has an ultimate goal, but he loved Deirdre. I think it broke his heart when Deirdre died and was killed. And um I think there's got to be a certain amount of love because they are you and you are them. It's an interesting dynamic, always. <laughs> yeah, I realized I've been thinking of Lasher as sort of an eternal person and then taking that to mean that he's a fixed person. Mm. But now I'm wondering if, like most of us going through relationships, every witch that he has this deep bond with changes him if he's a different lasher now than maybe he was when he met Suzanne. Oh, absolutely. And that was the funny thing. We were always experimenting with stuff. So, you know, initially I wanted to do this kind of cool thing that didn't necessarily work when it came to the edit and it became too complicated. But I almost wanted um, every time I spoke for the witch who I was locked in with at that moment to do my lines too. It's like when I speak, they're speaking because we're so deeply connected and rooted. Wow. And it's an interesting one because, you know, you're very much working in this sort of collaborative sense of trying to develop and trying to sort of come up with cool new ways to do something that we haven't seen before. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But even though them repeating my lines didn't necessarily work, it's still when I was shooting, I imagined them saying it or hearing their voice when I spoke. So it made me a little more connected to them from the get-go, if that makes sense. Well, you can really feel that connection between you and your witches. I actually want to play a clip of you and Rowan majorly connecting, coming together in this finale to set a witch kidnapper on fire. Let's listen. You called me to do your will. Let me do it. Go. 
find him! Do it. Do it. I mean, you were a bit of a sulky ex-boyfriend in episode seven, dumped for Tessa. Now you guys are back together. You look really happy to be killing people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, happy to do it. Happy to do her bidding, her will. Um, yeah, no, it was. I actually found it was quite heartbreaking that moment where she gives me up because it's one of those moments where I think she's sort of left out in the cold and you suddenly realize just how empowered he made her feel and just how sort of loved and special. So this is like that sort of great moment that you've been waiting for. I think she enjoys it. And also <laughs> it's with the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. So I think as an audience, you're going to quite enjoy witnessing and watching these guys burn. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'm guessing as an actor, you've killed your fair share of people. I've killed a lot of people in my career. I mean, I was on a show, Boardwalk Empire, and um, there was a lot of killing in that show. And my kill count was like far exceeded everybody else's. So I, I've sort of taken that and run with it. So now I guess I'm the guy to come to when you need someone killed. Well, I was noticing as we were setting up that you have a human skull in the background. You told me that was Marvin, the first person you ever killed. <laughs> Marvin, yep. You've got a severed head and a glass box behind you on the other shoulder. I suppose these are just trophies for you. Yeah. I have a whole thing with skulls. If you walk around my house, there's paintings and pieces that's all over that sort of somehow sort of represent some form of death. <laughs> when I was thinking here, like pros and cons of fire breath murder, because you don't get the pleasure of personally snapping somebody's veins the way Rowan does, but you also don't have to get messy. You don't have to get messy and you, and you can revel in their screams. I think like the pain and the torture of it is quite appealing to Lasher, so. For some reason, when you said that, I immediately got this picture of Lasher having a Spotify playlist of all of his favorite death screams. <laughs> he would love it. I think that would be one of his most satisfying moments is listening to the sort of pain that he's inflicting on these hideous people. Yeah, he'd have a go-to playlist. He'd have like a workout one. He'd have a chill out one. <laughs> exactly. He'd have a lazy Sunday morning scream. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just the screams, the torture he's inflicted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lasher's a complicated guy. I mean, this whole podcast, I've been asking our guests, who's Lasher? Tell me who Lasher is. And they've been like, I don't know who Lasher is, <laughs> which is fine for them. But you're the actor playing this character, so you must have an answer, right? I mean, I, I, I have my answer. It's interesting because Lasher has an ultimate goal. He is representative of these witches, of these people. But I do think he's a lion in a cage. So, of course, you don't want to be a caged animal. You want to be released. And the 13th witch is basically the key to releasing him why wouldn't you want to become an independent? Why wouldn't you want to sort of break out? Why wouldn't you want to be free? Yeah, I can understand that. And I want your understanding right now because I'm about to take the summer superficial. I have to talk about one of the most striking things about Lasher, which is your hair. <laughs> what are your tips? 
Do you deep condition? God, no. I have incredibly <laughs> long hair right now, but I have thick, thick hair. So it was a battle because we were shooting in New Orleans in the sort of height of summer, which as people who have been to New Orleans know, the humidity is insane. So if you have very thick and naturally incredibly curly hair, it doesn't work incredibly well. <laughs> I mean, it actually is my hair in the show, but it took a good few weeks, if not months, to really get that right. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying you're naturally more of like an Elvis pompadour if you were just letting it go? Oh, if I could. I know, I, right now, my hair is even longer than it was in the show because once you grow, there's always that awkward stage with hair. And I, when I started the show, I was right in the middle of the awkward stage of my hair, especially when your hair is, really, like I said, very curly. So we were sort of having to use like straightening irons at moments, like hardcore gel things, <laughs> keeping it down, sprays, mousses, all this stuff. I learned more about hair than I'd ever learned in the rest of my career. So yeah, I, at the moment, my hair is incredibly long and I just kind of need an excuse to cut it because I'm desperate to shave it all off. Oh, don't shave it off. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. I'm sorry I derailed us by talking about your hair. Okay, <laughs> let's get back to Lasher and Rowan because a big part of this finale is that Lasher tells Rowan all about her family, which feels huge. Mm. Let's take a listen to that scene. Where are we? Where it all began. Her name was Suzanne. She was a healer. And a midwife. First Mayfair witch. She learned your language. It was a pact we made. She left these markings here for you. For me? The culmination of all her knowledge. Could they all do this? Only you, the 13th witch. All the elements I command are now yours too. It only gets better from here. You only get better. Let's stay here for a while. I mean, do you think all of this information was in her brain the whole time? Is it an innate part of her that she needed to learn how to access? Well, I think it is. It's one of those things that, you know, she's always known that she was different or she had something inside of her that's sort of like itching to get out, but she never really knew what it was. So I think there must be such relief in that when you do finally find out who you are, where you come from, what you are, especially if it's something you've been fighting against for so long. Yeah, it really hit me this episode that we have... Rowan needing to know the truth about her family. We have even Jojo needing to learn the truth about her father, Cortland, the dark truth about her father. Yeah. And as this is going on, it really clicked with me. Oh, right. The head of the Talamasca, his strongest power is that he has the ability to erase history. Right. That his power is basically removing all of the things that these other women have been able to grasp onto finally. Right. I mean, that really makes me feel like the theme of this show is power and knowledge. I think that's very astute of you to sort of notice that because that is what it is. It is the power of knowledge, isn't it? It's about what we know. And the more you know, I think secrets and lies are what bury us. We can't be mollycoddled. We can't be kept in the dark. We should know everything because I believe knowledge is power 100%. That's always been the case. So whether or not one chooses the path of light or the path of darkness, I think it still has to be your choice. So I think that's very much what this is about. 
The more you know line made me think about Lasher trying to reach Rowan when she's a little girl and watching cartoons on like 90s television. (laughs) And they have those like between commercial things, like the more you know, but Lasher would have the power to be standing in for like the cartoon leprechaun and waving his hand like, the more you know is that you are a witch. Don't change the channel. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I guess I'm thinking that too, because Lasher in this episode really seems to take genuine delight in seeing Rowan learn things. Mm. She kisses you and she unbuttons your shirt. As cinematic love nests go, how does a medieval witch's cottage stack up against other scenes that you've shot in the past? Like, is this one of the weirdest places that your characters has gotten freaky? <laughs> For sure. And you know what? That fire was burning. Like, you'd leave and, like, your the inside of your nose would be black with soot. <laughs> and there was so much dust. You know, it was, it was an amazing set, that set. But um, it's kind of interesting because I think there is something incredibly sexy or romantic about the idea of, like, someone coming into the knowledge or finding their true voice or who they really are. It's I think there's something beautiful about witnessing someone do something exceptional and do something great when they do have a gift. And we were very keen to turn it into it's her choice, that it should be Rowan's choice. It shouldn't be Lasher doing these moves. It's letting her discover this stuff. And she chooses to kiss him. She chooses to do that. Has every Mayfair woman before this made that same choice? Has Lasher slept with every Mayfair woman? (laughs) I would assume so. And obviously from the writings of Anne Rice, we realize just how intimate and sexual and freaky (laughs) at moments it gets. It goes to some strange-ass places. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of strange-ass places, we learned last episode that Rowan is pregnant with Cyprian's baby. But after you and Rowan sleep together in this episode, Rowan becomes extra special, super duper pregnant. And the baby mm. looks to be Lasher. Yeah. This Rowan-Lasher-Cyprian love triangle is coming full circle. The love triangle, I guess, is a circle? <laughs> I, th- I think that Sip and Rowan are my parents now. <laughs> <laughs> I am the baby. I have now come into the world. But I think the baby was created by Sip and Rowan. And now I've sort of infiltrated that birth and become one. It's very weird. It's very, very strange. Okay. Because I was sort of wondering if this is more of like a Chinatown thing. It's very Chinatown. (laughs) (laughs) He's my father. He's my lover. (laughs) Spoiler alert out there for a 50-year-old movie. Jack's grandfather, John Houston, he was in Chinatown. He played the character Noah Cross. Yes. Yes. Noah Cross was a really bad guy. He was an abuser He abused his daughter sexually. His daughter winds up having a child that is both her daughter and her sister. Yeah. Um, That's not exactly what is happening here between Lasher and Rowan, but there are certainly echoes of those themes in this show. Yes, exactly. It's very, we referenced Chinatown the whole time. And I think it's so funny that my granddad was Noah Cross. (laughs) I guess there's some funny or very sort of twisted theme that's running within the family right now in certain characters. Very odd. Very strange. Very strange. But back to this finale, because I want to be super clear. In this bizarre new Mayfair family tree that's being created, you are the baby? Yes, but it's the strangest thing. I am possibly my own father, I guess, in a strange way. I don't know. It's just a weird way of looking at it. I mean, it's a lasherism, I guess. We could go down some pretty dark alleys here, but um, I think that's what Anne Rice wanted. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, one of the really complicated dynamics that I think is from Anne Rice's mind into this show 
is this relationship between power and sex because you, Lasher, are offering Rowan power, but you are also controlling her body for your own gain. And a lot of the men in the show are doing the same thing. Cortland, the Talamasca. There's all of these men who are claiming to be helping women come into their power, but they're also pulling all of the strings and they're Mm. also getting something out of it. Yeah, I mean, we help each other in life or he sees it as a sort of give and take. It's like, I will be your instrument of power or destruction or whatever you want. And um, he's also using them. It's difficult. I'm in no way um, representing Lasher as like even Keel and that he's doing something <laughs> good. But uh. Okay, well then I will stop short of calling you a Lasher apologist. <laughs> yeah. But I will say that I appreciate having you stick up for the Lasher point of view. And I think that is something really that the show seems to commit to is embracing gray areas in people. Yeah. I mean, I never really like the simplicity of calling someone good or bad. I like gray area. I think that's where all the interesting stuff happens because I think we're all constantly battling ourselves and our own perspective and our own point of view. That's how we learn, isn't it? It's like you can't know what is good if you don't know what bad is, and you don't know what bad is if you don't know what good is. It's the same as anything. You can't enjoy the warmth if you've never felt what it's like to be freezing cold. And I think there is a constant battle within Rowan, within Cortland, within Sip, all these people, There are ulterior motives and they are, you know, everyone is ultimately selfish as well. That's how we survive, self-preservation. And I think a lot of it comes down to that, pure self-preservation. Well, and now there's more Lasher to self-preserve. He now is human. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the great things about talking about the end of this episode is because baby Lasher is born. And it feels fitting that he's born in the middle of this thunderstorm, (laughs) which really makes it feel like an ancient prophecy is coming true. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm really curious to see what they decide about how long Lasher will be a baby. Yeah, me too. Like, is he going to age really fast? By the time season two rolls around, is he going to be an angsty teenager? He's going to go to his room and slam the door and he'll be playing loud Spotify screams. (laughs) 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 Well, I mean, getting into like actors and methodology and how very serious I'm sure this real baby was taking this role. What conversations did you have with baby Lasher about really how to best embody you? I mean, like, we just looked into each other's eyes and we just knew we were connected. So he is me, I am him. I'm a baby and he's a fully grown man. That's beautiful, Jack. (laughs) You are the baby. Okay, we need to get to the final seed of the season. It is the moment that the whole season has been building to. Rowan embracing her powers. Rowan is holding baby Lasher and she is refusing to let Cyprian take him away. Let's listen. Here. You're tired. Let me carry him. Someone's here with you. Is it Talamasca? No. Who then? Just someone who helped me find you. You're lying. I trusted you and you're lying to me. Rowan, please. I'm here to help. If you just let me carry him for you. He's inside your head. Because he's part of me. No! This isn't you, Rowan! Please, don't let him do this. He's not doing it. I am. He'll use you. Manipulate you. You can't control him. You can't control me. This whole episode 
this whole season has been building toward this question of who does Rowan trust most of all? Is it Cortland, Carlotta, Cyprian, Lasher? It kind of seems like in this moment, she picks none of y'all. She's like, I pick myself. Yeah. And also this baby. Yeah, that's it. She picks herself and the baby. Quite rightly so. I like that. And I think she's powerful enough to, you know, go independent at that point. But she's kind of picking everybody as well by sort of the baby, I guess. Me and Sip. It's part of all of us. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what the future holds for Rowan, but I am inspired that she's trying to forge her own path in a world that feels predestined for her. It makes me wonder... How do you think Rowan can find her own identity when she's born into a family with so much complicated history? I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think you can have your own identity and still be influenced and have what your family are and what you are. I think everything is a culmination of your history and about what happened before. The similarities that happen, even if you were never to know your own parents, even if you were never to know your family history, it's ever present and it is ever inside of you. Right. Definitely. And what you're saying reminds me of a scene from earlier in the episode. It's small, but it feels pivotal. Let's listen. Don't be angry with yourself. Of course you didn't see it. You love him. I've known him since he was a child selfish as can be. He fooled me, too. We can't let this be the story of our family. It's time someone else was in charge of things. What do you think the future of the Mayfair family looks like? Is it Lasher? Is it someone else like Jojo? And what is the difference between these two paths? Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, I like that lovely sort of cliffhanger because I think we've created enough conflict, enough mystery and enough of a body here for it to take multiple different turns. Yeah, I cannot wait for season two and all of the places that Baby Lasher will go. I can't wait to learn if Baby Lasher has a registry. (laughs) I don't think I want to get him anything. So it goes. I think it'll be fine. (laughs) Well, before you leave, we are going to finish with one final segment our final one of the season that we call Witch Fulfillment. Where every episode we ask what choice you would make if you had supernatural powers. Okay. In this episode, your character grants Cortland the gift of immortality. Yeah. I'm wondering if you would want to live forever. And if you did, how would you spend your days? I wouldn't want to live forever because I'd have to watch all the people I love die. I have zero aspirations to be immortal. <laughs> but um, if I was immortal and I couldn't do anything about it, what would I do to fill my days? Yeah. I'm picturing you in your room of skulls, mm. wondering if you should go find a lovely family of women and then haunt them for the rest of their generational lives. Exactly. <laughs> okay, there. Okay, I'm going with that answer. That's what I'll do. <laughs> well, Jack, it has been so fun. Oh, I mean, thank you so much. It's been great speaking to you and I hope everyone's enjoying the show and here's for another season so we get to explore it even more. Oh my, what a delight it was to talk to the incomparable Jack Houston. He made me see some things from Lasher's perspective, I have to be honest. He, he sticks up for him. Definitely a Lasher apologist, but can you blame this man? Also, I really want a ringtone of Jack Houston saying, I'm the baby. Can we get on that? I just want my phone to ring up in the morning and say, I'm a baby. 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 This has been 
such a wonderful season full of haunted houses and erotic handholding and skivering injuries. And thank you all for calling in all season long with your incredible witch insights and stories. I feel very lucky to be in our coven. Hi, I just wanted to call in and say how much I really appreciate the show and the podcast. I started reading Anne Rice when I was in art school in the 90s. I fell in love with Anne Rice's novels as a teenager. I actually am from New Orleans. I grew up in the Garden District, and I did not even find her books until I was a flight attendant, and I found The Witching Hour in an airport. As somebody that read this book for the first time on a Greyhound bus traveling from California to Florida, I have wanted to see it on screen for over 20 years. I remember reading The Witching Hour in the bathtub and I kept filling up the water because it kept getting cold on me because page after page I was hooked from the very beginning and that's how I felt about the show. I currently heard the podcast of what you would wear on a date with Anne Rice. I'd have my hair like lashes, a little bit darker suit and some shiny shoes. I actually have a similar story as Rowan, as I found out that I am a witch descended from Marie Laveau. I have dreams. They come true. I guess you could say I am a witch. Um, <laughs> that's a whole other story. I love the show. I am hooked. Each and every week, it's like opening up a new present. We lay in bed every Sunday morning and put on the latest episode before we do anything else for the day. So thank you for bringing my witches to life. This whole season, we have been brewing something incredible together. It is all one part of the greater immortal universe on AMC. Seasons two of both Mayfair Witches and Interview with the Vampire will be gracing our screen soon, but we have to wait a little bit longer. So while we patiently wait for new episodes, and possibly even a crossover event, who knows, I want to share some words from a few of the people who have helped conjure up this incredible, spooky, entrancing immortal universe. Hey, my witches. It's Eric Bogosian. I play Daniel Malloy on Interview with the Vampire. And first of all, congratulations on your astounding season. But I also got to tell you about my season that's coming up. I got to tell you, I've seen the scripts and it's a lot. They're kind of scary and they're going to get me into some scary stuff. I'll see you then. Hi, it's Bailey Bass. I am so, so excited for Interview with the Vampire Season 2. It was an absolute pleasure to play Claudia in Season 1, and I am so excited to see how she grows and who she becomes as they explore Paris. This is Asad Zaman, a.k.a. Rashid, a.k.a. the Vampire Armand, and I am so excited to show you what we have in store for Season 2. It's going to be a wild theatrical ride. Buckle up your broomsticks, my dear coven. Our journey into the immortal universe has only just begun. Thanks for listening to the AMC Mayfair Witches podcast. If you are not ready to let go of the Mayfairs yet, you don't have to. You can always rewatch the entire first season of Mayfair Witches on AMC+. For an extended 30-day free trial of AMC+, go to amcplus.com and use the promo code MAYFAIRPOD. That's Mayfair P-O-D. And make sure to keep an eye out for new seasons of both Mayfair Witches and Interview with the Vampire coming to AMC and AMC Plus soon. This is an AMC Networks podcast produced in partnership with Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers at AMC Networks are Kevin Dreyfus, Celia Quinnett, and Brian Swarth. Our executive producers at Pineapple are Gabrielle Lewis, Barry Finkel, 
Max Linsky, and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our managing producer is Aaron Kelly. Our producer is Ben Goldberg. Ari Saperstein is our editor. Mixing and engineering by Hannes Brown. I am Amy Nicholson. Thank you again to Jack Houston for joining us. And a massive, massive thank you to all of you, my coven members, for bringing magic into my life each and every week.